All that being said, let's dive into our final message in this series. How many of you guys have enjoyed the biggest butts in the Bible? Uh, anybody? How many of you have been surprised that you enjoyed it? You can be honest, like, hey, I thought this was going to be sacrilegious and I was leaving the church, uh, but it's actually been pretty good. No hands on that one. So either you are, all have a great sense of humor or you still haven't decided if you're okay with it. I'm not sure which it is. Um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm so glad we've gotten to do it. Um, I, there's so much in there, and the reality, and I, I've mentioned this a few times, there, there's no way to encompass all of this in four weeks. I mean, there are so many moments in Scripture where God steps in and, and switches things around um, with this little three-letter three letter word, B-U-T. And so I, I want to go back just a little bit kind of to the foundation of the series as we get ready to wrap it up today. We, we started out by looking at some of these almost cliche statements in Christianity that, that are thrown around a lot uh, that are so absolutely true and that encompass each of our stories. So we said things like, I was blind. I was blind. You guys are so smart, so proud. Uh, said things like, I was lost. Good job, we're catching on, we're catching on. Said things like, I, I was dead, but now I'm alive, right? I, I, I was addicted, but now I'm set free. I was discouraged, but now I'm encouraged. I was alone, but now I have family, right? The testimony of each believer is, and I was this, but now God has done this for me, sentence. So the question that, that we open this series with that I hope that you've had some insight in and some time to unpack is this, is what is your Yes, we're highlighting these big butts in Scripture. Yes, we're looking at these moments where God plays this reverse and switches things around, and it's amazing and beautiful and encouraging. But the real question is, what is that for you? What is that in your life? If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've received his salvation, you should have an answer to this. I used to be this. I used to experience this. I used to go through this. I used to be at this place, but now. Because of God's goodness, because of his love, because of his grace, now everything is changed. So we gave this little fill-in-the-blank assignment for each of us. I don't know if you've completed it yet, but I want to remind you of it before we finish the service. And that is this, um, I was blank, but now I'm blank. Very simple. Two, two things to fill in. I was blank, but now I'm blank. What has changed in your life because of Jesus Christ, because of God's goodness, because of God's grace. We even talked about how for some of us, this doesn't even have to necessarily be pre-salvation, post-salvation, because some of us, man, we, we met Jesus at such an early age and such a young age that we can't really look back and, and say, man, you know, I was four years old and I was on cocaine, right? Like, that's not, that's not our testimony. That's not real. If we're not careful, sometimes we hype up those, like, dramatic testimonies to where if you don't have one, you're jealous. It's like, man, I, I wish I killed somebody before I met Jesus, right? <laughs> like, 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 man, God, God could use me so much greater if I did, like, this horrible thing. It's like, no, that's the best testimony. God saved me from ever experiencing that, from ever going to that place, right? But, but what has he done for you? Because the reality is, even if you got saved at a young age like I did, you probably made some pretty awful mistakes. 
You've had some seasons where you drifted, where you wandered, where you stepped away from God's truth, from his love, from his protection, and yet he kept pursuing you anyway. So what is the answer for you? I was blank, but now I'm blank. Hopefully, most of us have multiple answers to those blanks. Hopefully, most of us can look and and see, man, this applies and this applies, and he did this and he did this. And most of us, if we really dug into it, could probably find a number of responses to that. But what's the one that really resounds in your heart? What's the one that's, that's really defining? We said at the beginning of this series, it's important for us to know what that is for a few reasons. Number one, it's just, it encourages us. It lifts us back up, right? In, in Psalm 51, the David, as he's repenting of great sin, he asks God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I think the, the remembrance of what God has done is one of the things that restores that joy. God, you've done this for me. You, you delivered me. You've saved me. You've set me free. You've restored me. You've given me hope and purpose. You've used me. Whatever that is, Man, that should bring joy into your life. But, but secondly, it's important for us to remember what God's done for us because it reminds us that we didn't always serve Jesus. See, sometimes we can serve Jesus for so long that we start to look at people who don't serve Jesus as the enemy. We, we start to look at them like they're the problem. And when we look at all this stuff in the culture and all this stuff in the world, and, and we can start to lash out. And we can start to get angry at people as if they're the source of sin. But all they are is somebody who hasn't yet received God's freedom. It's just me before Jesus stepped in. My dad used to use this sentence all the time. He'd say, but by the grace of God, there go I. And if it wasn't for God's grace, I'd be that person. So instead of being angry at them, instead of downcasting them, instead of rejecting them or judging them, What should happen is our heart should break for them that, wow, they haven't experienced God's love yet the way that we have. How do we give them that opportunity? How do we open that door for them? So it it changes the way that we look at the lost. It reminds us that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with the enemy. It's with the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And so when we remember that people aren't the problem, it allows us to have the same heart for them that, And so we've got to remember what God has done for us. We've got to come back to the buts. So today in part four, I want to just give you one final but. I want to give you one last but to to encourage you, to inspire you, to speak to that salvation. We started out this series in Ephesians chapter 2, and we saw how we were all dead in our sins and our trespasses, our premeditated first-degree sins, But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace we have been saved, right? So we saw this this first salvation, but then we kind of stepped back into the book of Genesis. And we spent a couple weeks in Genesis, and and we saw Noah and his family in this ark for what felt like forever. Surrounded by these animals with nothing but rain falling and no land in sight. The rest of humanity wiped off the face of the earth. But God remembered. But God remembered them, and we saw that God always remembers his people. He always remembers his plans. He always remembers his promise. And so we we found encouragement that even in the midst of whatever we're going through this morning, God remembers us. Then last week, we continued in the book of Genesis. The book 
zooms in on one family, four generations in one family, and we actually just looked at the last two generations of that very broken, very messed up family, and we saw Jacob and his situation with his uncle Laban, and then we saw Jacob as he's about to die speaking to his son Joseph, and we saw Joseph addressing his brothers who had sold him into slavery and nearly taken his life, and we saw how despite the evil intentions of man, God's protection always reigns supreme. That even when people bail on us, even when people reject us, even when people deceive us, even when people that we love, that we need, die and leave us, that God is still with us and for us and protecting us. So today we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. If you haven't turned there yet, you can go ahead and grab your Bible and turn. We're going to start in verse number 6. We, we started this with a letter from Paul, the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. We're going to close with a different letter from Paul, this letter to the church in Romans, probably his, his magnus opus, his most famous piece of, of literature, this incredible book to the, the church in Rome. And he says this in verse 6 of chapter 5. He says, you see, at just the right time, everybody say the right time, the, right time. the God moment, the set time, at just the right time when we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Everybody say, that's me. He died for me when I was powerless, when I was ungodly. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we were broken and powerless and dead, with no redeeming value, Jesus Christ died for us. It makes this famous, powerful statement about this incredible love that God had for us, that even though we weren't worth it, God saw worth in us. We go a lot of different directions with this passage. There's a lot of implications here, a lot of truth, a lot of power. I want to just today unpack for just a few moments three personal takeaways from Romans 5.8. And when I say personal, I mean I'm going to present this as I do every once in a while in, in first person. That way you can preach this to yourself. You can encourage yourself with this. You can speak this over yourself because these truths are true for each of us. This is true for me. This is true for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've received his salvation, if those three verses we just read are true of you, then these are personal takeaways that you can hold on to. The, the first one is this, is that number one, I am a sinner. I am. I am a sinner. That one doesn't get the big amens and the excitement, right? I didn't see anybody pull out their phone to take a picture of that slide. Holding on to that one, tweeting that one out. Uh, right? But, but it's the reality of the situation. I am a sinner. Notice I didn't say I was a sinner. Um, I still am, right? Like I'm a sinner saved by grace. Like the, the nature of my sin has changed. The nature of what the sin does to me has changed. But the reality is I'm, I'm still a sinner, right? I, I still haven't mastered holiness and sanctification and moved to the place where that is no longer a true statement about me. Let's, let's go back 
to Romans chapter 5. Go ahead and put verse 6 back up there for us, if you don't mind. Verse 6 says this, as you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless. How are we powerless? We were powerless in a number of ways. We were powerless to defeat sin. We, we were powerless to defeat the consequences of sin. You probably know this. You probably heard this and been taught this at some point in your life. But the consequences of sin is death. In fact, in this very book, Apostle Paul puts it very plainly and very simply. He says that the wages of sin, the price for sin, is death. We go all the way back to the garden. What did God tell Adam and Eve? He said, you can eat from any tree in this garden. It's all yours. I've given it all to you except for this one. I've asked you just not to touch this one. Just leave this one alone. And if you touch it, if you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and physically, they didn't die, not instantaneously. Their spirit died. Their spirit experienced separation from God. And that's the experience that we all have, that we're born into sin. We're born eternally separated from God. And so there's this price that sin requires of us. Again, if, if we forget our sinfulness, our sinful nature, it's going to make it really hard for us to reach the world that is still caught in sin. But, but it's also going to do something else. If we forget our sinful nature, it will allow us to creep into pride, right? It will allow us to begin to think we're something that we're not. In fact, one of the main reasons why Adam and Eve did fall in the garden was because of pride. Because the enemy said, hey, if you'll eat that fruit, you're not going to surely die. In fact, what is going to happen is you will be like God. You familiar with the psychological term projection? Where, where you're dealing with something and so you project it onto somebody else? Well, what was Satan's sin? What cast Lucifer out of heaven? Why did he lose his place as an archangel? Because he wanted to be like God. And so as he pops up in the story in Genesis chapter 3 and begins to bring sin into the world, as he brings the first temptation that Adam and Eve are, are powerless to resist, he says, hey, you have a chance to be like God. So they give in and they partake of this, the fruit and because of it we're all born with this sin nature, this sinful DNA. And so I am a sinner. We've got to remember that we're a sinner, not to bring discouragement into our life, not to walk in shame or condemnation because that's not what God has for his people at all. But we do need to be aware of what I used to be, what I'm still capable of, and what God has done for me so I don't get into a place of pridefulness. So number one, Romans tells us that we are sinners. Secondly, Romans' personal takeaway, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says that my sin could not keep God from loving me. But despite my sinfulness, despite my wretchedness, despite who I was before God rescued me, and oh, by the way, all the sin I would participate in after God rescued me, Right, it's one thing to forgive somebody, 
from what they're going through and what they've been through and say, hey, let's have a fresh start. It's another thing to realize all the ways they're going to betray you and deny you and walk away from you after you give them that fresh start and give them the fresh start anyway, right? Have you ever been backstabbed by somebody and you're like, man, if I would have known that would have happened, I would have never roomed with that person. I would have never let you into my home. I would have never made this alliance, this covenant with you. God, with his infinite foreknowledge, with his omniscience, recognized every time I would say, God, I'll do this, but did something else, and said, I love you anyway. I'm going to rescue you anyway. I'm going to save you anyway. This is the love that God has for us. My sin could not keep God from loving me. Let me show it to you in Romans chapter 5. It says this. It says, very rarely will anyone die, verse 7, for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once I cleaned myself up and got it together. Not, not once I figured some things out. God said, okay, now you're, you're moving in the right direction. Why don't you come over here? While I was rejecting him, while I was far from him, while I had nothing to offer him, he loved me so much anyway. He died for me. When I was a kid, I used to collect baseball cards and football cards and a little bit of basketball cards, and I would get like these Beckett monthly price guides that would tell you like what the, what the card values were, and I like collected them. I had, you know, a whole, a whole thing, and I would get so excited if one of my cards went up in value. Um, I remember I had a, a Barry Sanders 1989 score rookie card, and that was the most valuable card that I had. It got it worth like 40 bucks. And, and I remember telling my dad, Dad, this card is worth $40, and I have two of them, right? I was so proud of my, my Barry Sanders rookie cards. And my dad, he had the same response every time. Well, it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. So you find me somebody who's going to give you $40 for that card, it's worth 40 bucks. Uh, until then, that's just some numbers on a piece of paper, right? Uh, well, I want you to know you are worth what someone is willing to pay for you. And so when you deal with feelings of worthlessness, of, of rejection, of not being accepted, of not being good enough, and we all deal with those feelings, and sometimes in some ways, I need you to know the most important being in all of creation, in fact, the one who spoke creation into existence, saw so much value in you that he sent his most valued possession to die in your place. What is your value? Your value is what someone is willing to pay for you. And that means you are of infinite worth, immeasurable worth, incomparable worth. Not because of anything in you, but because of the God who recognizes you, who loves you, who spoke something over you, who said, I want you on my team. I want you in my family. I want you with me. In fact, I want to be with you so badly. I'm not just going to bring you to me. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to die for you. That is your worth. And the enemy's going to try to point to your sin. He's going to try to point to your failure. He's going to try to point to all the ways that you don't measure up. And the reality is we don't. 
We don't measure up to God's standard. That's why Jesus had to die. If we could have measured up on our own, God would have never let his son die for us. But we could never do it for ourselves. And so he says, you're worth it to me. I love you enough. I'm going to send my son for you. Look at verse 8 once again for me. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He demonstrated his love. Not just the brilliance of his plan, not just his greatness and his great worth to be praised. God sent Jesus because he loves us. Because even in our sin, even in our separation, even as far away from him as we could get, he said, man, I love you. I need you with me. Three takeaways from Romans 6 or chapter 5. Verse 8, first, I'm a sinner. Secondly, my sin could not keep God from loving me. Thirdly, God proved his love for me forever through Jesus. God proved his love for me forever through Jesus. You ever had somebody tell you they love you and you're like, eh, I don't know. Do you? Have you ever questioned someone's love for you? Now, now some of us may question that out of our own insecurity, Right? Uh, but, but sometimes there are people who throw things around, and it's like, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of evidence of this love. God wrote his love for us into all of creation, right? It resounds in, in the stars as far as we can zoom out, as far as we can zoom in. Man, we look into every level of creation. His love for us is written. It's proclaimed. It's declared. But he didn't just speak it. I'm a words of affirmation guy. If you speak it, that's enough for me, right? Like, like I'm happy for someone to, to say something. That is my love language. But God demonstrates his love for us through all five love languages. He makes sure everybody can experience and understand his love. And so he didn't just say, Miss Teresa, I love you. He didn't just speak it, which is nice. Man, I mean, it's, it's amazing to hear from anybody, but especially the creator, especially the most important person. Like if he says he loves you, hey, that's a, that's a good day. I'm grateful for that, right? But he didn't just say it. He showed it. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we had nothing to offer him, while there was no worth or value in us to make us attractive to him. He says, I love you anyway, and I love you so much. I'm going to prove it to you, and I'm going to prove it to the universe, and I'm going to prove it to Satan for once and for all how great my love is for you. He let his son die on a cross for me. For me. He demonstrated, he proved it, he affirmed it, he put an exclamation point on it, and he nailed it to some wood, a sign for the world to see forever. This is how much I love you. This is how valuable you are. This is how much worth I see in you. God demonstrated his love for you and for me in this way. While we were still sick. While we were broken, while we were in bondage, while we were dead, while we were worthless, while we were his enemies, Jesus Christ died. 
not just any old death, a painful death, a miserable death, an excruciating death, a horrific death for me. Now, most of you in this room, I mean, you're core city church people, right? Like you've, you've followed Jesus for a while. This is not news to you. You're not like hearing the gospel for the first time. How come nobody ever told me about this before, right? Like most of you, you are very well aware of this. You're probably pretty aware of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Sometimes we need to be reminded. Sometimes we got to go back to the basics. Sometimes we got to come back and just stare into the beauty and the scandal of the gospel. How could God's son die for me? Man, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't even register, and yet God proved his love for us through this incredible, incredible action. I'm a sinner. My sin could not keep God from loving me. He saw too much value in me. He assigned too much worth to me. Ultimately, he didn't just see that love. He proved it. He didn't just have some, some feeling of love, right? Like sometimes I, I, I was a youth pastor, so a lot of times I come back to, to youth pastor and, and middle school and high school things, right? Like I've seen a lot of kids who thought they were in love. Uh, like, like we, we used to tell them before we take them on a mission trip, like that person that you're on the mission trip with, they'll never look better than they do in a missions t-shirt. Like there's just something that happens when you take kids out of town and they serve Jesus together. And it's like, we are meant to be, uh, this is it. He is the one. I don't care if I'm 14 years old. Right. Uh, and, and, and so I've seen a lot of people who thought they loved somebody, but there were just some feelings. There were just some emotions, and I don't mean to, like, pretend that those things weren't real, but it wasn't really love, right? It was, it was this puppy love. It was this infatuation, this attraction. Most of us know what I'm talking about. Most of us have experienced that on some sort of level, whether it was in a relationship or just from a distance. But, man, you had those feelings for that person who just had that look, and, you know, they smelled whatever or whatever it was, right? We don't need to go into more detail there. Uh, so. God didn't just have some fun feelings for you. He didn't just have some warm, fuzzy emotions for you. He didn't just look at you and say, oh, man, Misty, you're awesome, right? He does. He looks at Misty and says she's awesome, but he doesn't just have those feelings. They didn't stop there. He proved them. He demonstrated them for eternity. This is not just a temporary passing fad. This is not just a season of some feelings that I'm going to feel for somebody else some other time. This is an eternal declaration of God's commitment to you that he let his son die in your place. He proved his love for me forever through Jesus Christ. The next time you wrestle with, does God love me? I need you to look at the cross. The next time the enemy comes and begins to whisper and tell you you're unlovable, you're unworthy, that you've blown it too badly, that you're so far gone, I need you to point him back to the cross. You want to shut Satan up? Remind him about the cross real quick. That'll do it. There's nothing he hates more 
No moment that he experienced greater defeat, greater humiliation, where he thought he was accomplishing something and it ended up being the worst thing that he could ever do, okay? So you bring up the cross, that's going to shut him up real fast. God demonstrates his own love for me in this. While I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me. What a big, beautiful spectacular, eternal, but while I was powerless, while I was far from him, I was worthless and not righteous, and now maybe somebody would be willing to die for a righteous person, but God demonstrated his own love for me in this, while Troy Souden was still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me, and not just for You can put your name in there. You can personalize that because he did it for you. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me?